Let's welcome a very special guest, Helene Stepinski, who has written extensively for the New York Times, the Washington Post, Travel and Leisure, and numerous other magazines and newspapers. In addition, she's the best-selling author of three books, including Murder at Matera and The Five-Finger Discount. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Um, well, I guess I, I write regularly for the New York Times. I'm working on a new book. Um, it's kind of a crazy story. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if I can go into it all, but it's about a, um, a guy who escaped Nazi Germany in 1938 and came to America and, um, happened to be there the night that Marilyn Monroe's dress blew up on the subway grate in New York city. And he filmed her that night and his footage is the only footage left from that night. The only film footage, there's still pictures, but his was the only movie. And, um, yeah, it's kind of a crazy story and Superman's involved and all kinds of crazy antics ensue. And it's nonfiction, believe it or not. So, <laughs> so I'm working on that right now. I was just reading it actually on my porch. I haven't read it. I was teaching most of the summer and um, I let it sit for a while and marin- let it marinate, you know. So today, just this morning, I went back to it to read it and it's looking okay. I have to say, I was a little nervous. I was really nervous. I was procrastinating. <laughs> so that's that puts you up to date on what's happening in my life. Is there a specific experience that inspired you to be a writer? Um, no, I don't think it was a particular experience. I think uh, people have a talent and if they're lucky, they realize what it is fairly early on in life. And I had some really good teachers who noticed it and helped push me in the right direction. So right from like, I'd say from high school on, I had, I had a great, a couple of great teachers in high school who saw that I could write. I became the editor of my school newspaper and they sort of helped push me the right way, but not one thing. No, I think it was just sort of an accumulation of things. You know, I I always wrote, even when I was like five or six years old, I wrote these little poems and then I went on to longer stories and, you know, just realizing what you're good at as sort of half the battle, I think, or more than half the battle. So I don't think there was one aha moment. It was kind of a, an accumulation with, with help from professors and teachers. So, As a nonfiction writer, how do you choose what story to tell? Well, um, I'm usually just kind of moving through the world and seeing stuff. And, you know, a lot of my stuff starts as stories, like newspaper stories or magazine stories. So I'll see something and then I'll pitch it to someone, to an editor. And I usually know, you know, if it's going to fly or not, if it's, if it doesn't seem like it's going to work, I'm not going to pitch it. So if, if I see something and I think it's a good story, they're generally going to say yes. Cause I know what a good story is after all these years. And so I just kind of write about whatever I come across. Like for instance, I mean, this is a stupid example, but you know, I'm at my beach house now. I come here every summer for a few weeks. And when my kids were little, we were here with my sister-in-law and she had kids the same age. They were maybe like 10 and six or something like that. And um, so we were getting ready to make dinner. And we're like, what should we make? And the kids were like, let's have spaghetti tacos. And my my sister-in-law was like, oh, wow, you guys eat spaghetti tacos too? And I was like, yeah, you eat them too. And I thought we were like the only people who ate spaghetti tacos from iCarly. And so the light bulb went off over my head and I was like, wait a minute. So people are eating spaghetti tacos because of this TV show. That's really weird. And so I Googled it and it, there's like a bazillion spaghetti taco recipes 
um, across America and um, from all these moms and no one had really written about it yet. It was all just blogging and, you know, things like that. And so I pitched it to the New York Times food section and I told, basically told them the story I just told you. That was my pitch. And he loved it. The editor of the food section had little kids too. And he'd been making them for his kid. And he was like, oh my God, yes, spaghetti tacos. <laughs> and it was the cover of the food section. It was on one of my first covers in a section of the newspaper. And it went viral and all these chefs commented on it. It was ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous. It's kind of a dumb story, but that's just one example of like how I come across stories. So it's just things in my life that I sort of stumble upon. And I realized that, oh, wait a minute, this is like a bigger trend. Yeah. So, and then some of those stories, like I'll stumble upon a story and that story's, you know, bigger than just a story. And that's a book, you know, and that's what I'm doing now. Cause the book I'm writing now grew out of a story that I wrote three or four years ago for the times. So if you don't know how to start writing a piece, how, what are some ideas to start? Uh, basically what I do is, you know, I do all the reporting first. I do as much reporting as I can stand, you know, so my, sometimes my husband says I do too much reporting, but, uh, you know, I think it's impossible to do too much. Well, I guess it's possible to do too much reporting. You're, you can report for the rest of your life on a story, I guess. <laughs> you can just keep going. But I just kind of go until I think I have enough information. And then I kind of, I just go through all my notes. And I use like a highlighter usually. And I just highlight all the stuff um, that I think is good. And so that's where I begin. So, And anytime I start a story, to sit down to write a story, I'm totally like, just freaked out and worried. And, you know, I've been writing now for, what is it? I'm 56. So, you know, I've been writing professionally since I was in my mid twenties. So that's 30 years I've been writing. And every time I sit down to write a story, I get a little panicked and I think maybe I can't do this anymore. Maybe this isn't going to work out this time. And so just anybody who's panicked, just know everybody feels that way, even when you're a seasoned reporter and writer. So I just, I think going through the notes sort of calms me down. You know, I see that I've got good stuff and then I just start, I just dive right in. I just pick the best part of what I've got in my notes, usually the most dynamic image or you know an anecdote or whatever and I just start writing and then it usually flows from there I don't make an outline or anything like that I just kind of dive right in and at that point I've got all the information in my head kind of from reading the notes and I just pick the best quote to put up front and you know just go from there so you just have to dive in you just have to like today wanting to you know reading my book I was just so afraid I woke up but I was like doing all this other stuff around the house. So I didn't have to look at it because I was so nervous, but it's okay. <laughs> it all works out. What's your favorite underappreciated book and why? Underappreciated book. Hmm, that's a good question. Let's see. Um, let me think, let me think, let me think. I'm trying to pick something. Well, my favorite book is In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Is that underappreciated? I don't know. I think that's pretty, pretty well known, right? Um, there's a book called, um, oh God, what's American? Now I'm forgetting the name of it. It's so unappreciated that I can't remember the name of it. American Purgatorio, it's called. And some guy that I went to graduate school wrote it. And, um, it's, it, it just didn't get a lot of attention. It might've got a little attention when it came out, but it made me cry. 
And it's one of those, I think it's on one of those lists of like the top 10 books that you've never read, you know? So American Purgatorio. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> it's a, it's about a guy who takes this journey across America. So it's, it's really, really great. John Haskell is the writer. H-A-S-K-E-L-L. What would you say is the most enjoyable part of the writing process? The most enjoyable part is probably when you're in the, in the groove, you know, like you don't even know you're in it sometimes. Like you start, you get started and you're a nervous wreck, right? You don't think it's going to work out. You're all freaked out. And then you just start writing. And at one point you forget you're writing. And sometimes you forget to eat. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in a quiet place, you're just, you could write for hours and not even realize the time has gone by. And so I call it like being in the zone, you know? So that's the most enjoyable to me. Going back and editing is always horrible. And, you know, um, and the other, there's a, there's a quote, I think from, I think it's Hemingway, who said the, the best part of writing is having written. So when you're done, you know, it's great. If you could look at it and you like it, I think that's probably the really best part. But the actual, the, once you're in it, once I'm in it, I'm sort of, I'm not even aware of it really. And I sort of liken it to maybe if you're surfing, you know, I was never a surfer, but my daughter used to surf being in the tube, you know, like when you get that big wave and you're riding through it um, in that sort of tunnel, I feel like that's what it's like when you're in that writing space and it's all happening and you're not, you're just part of it. You're part of the whole process. You're not even aware of the process. So that's, I guess, the best part. What do you say is the most challenging part? Just like you said, getting started, you know, getting off the couch or getting, you know, stopping procrastinating, you know, not taking another walk or not cooking breakfast again or, <laughs> you know, whatever, not cleaning your closet. I think that's the hardest part. It's like, oh, the house is a mess. I really have to clean it. You really don't have to clean it. You need, you need to sit down and write, you know, so it's really that that moment, that one moment to to just get going. That's the hardest part for me. For our listeners, what would be the what's the process of publishing a book and how long can it take? God, I mean, it really varies. But basically, um, you have to first find an agent. Um, hopefully you've got something written already. Um, if you're writing nonfiction, you don't have to have a whole book written. You can just have a few chapters and sort of an outline of what you're writing. Because non nonfiction, you kind of know where it's going. Fiction is totally different. If you're writing fiction, you don't know the end of the story until you write it. So you have to write a whole book for fiction to sell it, okay? So hopefully you've written something, whether you've written part of a book for nonfiction or a whole book for fiction. And then you have to start looking for an agent. And I tell people, um, you know, to find the right agent, you should look at the books that you love and the books that are similar to what you're writing. Go to Barnes & Noble, go wherever, and look in the book, usually the acknowledgements page, usually in the beginning or the end of the book, and they usually thank their agent and see who that agent is and send that agent a letter. And these days, you know, when I started out, you, you had to send letters, you know, now you can do it on the internet. It's much easier. And there's ways, there's very easy ways to find out agents, emails and things like that. And so you want to send a letter to an agent. It's usually just one page letter telling them what you're writing and why they want to read it and why they want to represent you. And then, you know, I, I sent out, when I first started, I was sending out to one agent at a time. 
but I encourage people to send to like maybe a dozen agents, like find a dozen agents that you would love to have and start at the top, start at the best agents that you want and send that same letter to those dozen agents. And in the letter, tell them that you're sending it to other agents so that they feel a little pressure. And you're like, I'm submitting this to other agents. So if you want me, let me know now because <laughs> I may be picked up by someone else, you know, so you want to give them a little pressure. And I did that with my first book with Five Finger Discount. And sure enough, I had like, I think half a dozen agents got back to me right away. And um, so I narrowed it down to a couple. It was, it was kind of hard to decide which one to go with, but I finally decided. And, um, you know, I had a bunch of chapters written. I had gone to a writing colony in upstate New York called the Malay Colony. And I had written like half of my book there, Five Finger Discount. And so we sent out, I think, an outline and... Um, maybe three or four chapters to editors. So you said that the agent basically sends your writing to a list of editors at publishing houses who might be interested. And so the reason you have an agent is they know what publishers are interested in, what kinds of books. It's really very complicated. I didn't know anything about it. And so they said, it's similar to you sending it out to agents, right? You're sending it out to a bunch of agents. Well, they're sending it out to a bunch of editors, right? And so they send your writing out and then hopefully a lot of people want it. And then they, what the agent does, this is something else you need an agent for the agent sort of pits them against each other <laughs> so that they're, they're um, vying to buy it. And then that drives the price up. Cause if I was doing it myself, the first person who said they wanted it, I'd be like, okay, here, take it. <laughs> Give me $10. Okay. But an agent is a business person, which most writers are not. Um, most writers are terrible business people. And so the agent is sort of your shepherd through that whole process. And, you know, with my first book, I was lucky enough to, to have a, um, a bunch of editors who wanted it. And one of the editors um, made a preemptive bid, which means they offer a lot of money to knock all the other editors out of the way. And so we took it and it was Anne Godoff and she was the head of Random House at the time. So it was huge for me and um, it changed my life. And I finished my book and it came out and became a bestseller. Well, what do you say are the essential characteristics of a good piece of writing? Essential characteristics. Let's see. Well, it depends what kind of writing it is. You know, you know, uh, journalism is different than fiction, but uh, you generally have interesting characters. You've got great color. You know, you've got great description. You've got good quotes. Um, and an interesting story, you know, that's really important, you know, because you can have all those other things. You can have great description and you can have, you know, a good character. You can have nice background, but if nothing's happening, I don't know if people are going to keep reading it, you know, so you want a good story and then you got to make that story readable. So, cause again, you can have a good story and you could have, you know, bad writing and no one's going <laughs> to finish reading it. So you kind of need both. You need a good plot, but you need the good writing behind it. So, and that comes through description and um, detail. And like I said, good characters and, and well drawn out scenes. So. Where would you say a good plot can overcome bad prose? Say that again. What's the question? Um, where would you say a good plot can overcome bad prose? Well, I guess in the movies that happens all the time, <laughs> you know, um, in writing. Uh, yeah, I think in screenwriting that it's a lot of the movies are out there just 
they're interesting stories, but the writing is usually pretty terrible, especially with big block blockbusters now. You know, I think most of the movies out there are total garbage. And um they're just they don't even think about writing them well. They don't care. It's just like action plots and you know, it might might be an interesting situation, but I have no interest in seeing a movie like that. I just because I like well developed characters and you know, just sort of a very well rounded story. Um so yeah, I think plot is important, but it's not the only thing. How has writing impacted how you see yourself or your relationship with others? Writing is sort of like therapy, you know, for me. And I know for a lot of other people, it's almost like being in group therapy. If you're, you know, writing in, in a classroom situation, if you're in a workshop situation, everybody's, even if you're not quote unquote writing about yourself, you are sort of writing about yourself. I mean, if you're writing fiction, it's coming from somewhere. So usually it comes from some emotional well somewhere that you, you know, you're pulling things out of. So it's really therapeutic. And I, I think all of my books, um, particularly probably the first one, um, Five Figure Discount helped me get past some demons in my life, you know, because I had a lot of um, tragedy in my family a lot of criminals in my family, a lot of murders, things like that. And I don't think I even realized it until I started writing about it. And it sort of brought that up to the surface for me. And I was able to deal with a lot of that and a lot of sorrow and just a lot of sadness. And so that book was my way of working through it. Because the, the person who wrote that book is not the same person who's talking to you, to you today. You know, I just, I really worked through a lot of that stuff. And I grew not just as a writer, but as a person, I think. How do you balance writing what readers expect and what inspires you? Well, hopefully they're the same thing, right? I mean, um, you know, when you write for a certain place like the New York Times, they certainly insist on a certain voice. You know, you can't just do crazy, you know, experimentation if you're writing for the Times. You can't do experimental writing. It's pretty, pretty much got to be straightforward. Um but good, graceful writing, I think, is going to be accepted by people in general. I think, you know, if you've got a clean, um, good voice, that's what the public's going to want. So I, I, I generally don't have a problem with that. If you didn't write, what job would you have? <laughs> I always thought I could either be an astronaut, a forest ranger, uh, or a masseuse. <laughs> Those are like my top three growing up, you know, astronaut, probably not going to happen. You know, I need glasses. And I think, I don't think you can be an astronaut and need glasses. I think you have to have perfect eyesight to be an astronaut. And I'm kind of past that. I don't really want to be an astronaut anymore. Forest ranger, because I just like being, you know, in nature. I thought that would be a nice job to have. And a masseuse, I just thought it sort of makes people feel good. <laughs> but I, I don't want to do any of those things. I, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. <laughs> What was the hardest scene to write in any of your books? The hardest scene? Mm. I think probably one of the hardest scenes was like, uh, in my first book, I read about my dad dying. Um, he died when I was very, you know, I was like in my early 20s when he died. Um, and he was young. He was only 59 at the time. And it was such a traumatic experience for me. And I kind of buried it. And so I kind of had to drag it out of me, you know? And so that was kind of a hard scene to write. Um, 
the more personal it is, I think the harder it is really to get it out there and not just to get it out of yourself, but to convey that emotion, you know, cause you don't want it to sound phony. You want it to sound real. And writing is sort of a, you know, it, writing is real, but you, you know, the word you choose, it's sort of a construct, right? So you don't want to lose the emotion from the place that it's coming from inside you to the page, you know, which is the construct. So it, it's, it's sometimes hard to, to get that across, but I think simple, you know, graceful language is the way to go. You don't want to be too complicated about it. Just tell it, you know, but that was hard. I remember crying, I think when I was writing it. So, What are some strategies for effectively revising your writing? Well, if you can marry someone who can edit your stuff, Marrying the person, the right person is like so, so crucial because they have to support you as a writer, not just financially. And sometimes they don't need to fi- to support you financially, but emotionally and just sort of be your cheerleader, cheerleader. And to have, have that other person in your house all the time who's actually there to read whatever you've written is just so crucial, especially for me. I mean, I just, my husband is the first reader on everything I do way before the time I give it to my editor, I show it to my husband and he's a great editor. Uh, he's a great writer too, but he's a really great editor. And, um, and he just calls me out on stuff all the time. He tells me, Oh, this doesn't work or this needs to be more developed or this has to go. Um, and so just to have that person in your life, whether it's a sibling or a friend or somebody in your workshop, um, someone who you really, really trust and who has good taste, which is hard to find. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's super important and just to find the right people to look at it and to give you feedback. Cause after a while you look at it and you can't really see it anymore. You know, and you need somebody else's help. And so to try and get those people in your life before you're at the point where you're a professional writer and you can get those people, you know, are paid to do that at the times there are editors who are great. who will help you at, you know, at book publishing, you're going to have book publishing house. You're going to have an editor assigned to you there, but to have that special person in your life who could look at it, I think is really, really important too. So choose wisely when you're getting married. (laughs) What are some common traps for aspiring writers and how do you avoid them? Common traps for aspiring writers. You mean people who aren't writers yet? You mean like kids and learning, right? Sort of. Traps. Hmm. Oh no, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, if you're going to make a living as a writer, you're going to have to write about stuff you don't want to write about sometimes. And so that could seem like a trap, but it's not. So don't be tricked into thinking that's a trap. (laughs) That's the trap. (laughs) Thinking like, oh, I shouldn't be writing this. I should be writing that. You know, you can write anything you want in your spare time. You can write your fiction. You can write your poetry. But to make a living as a writer, you're probably going to have to write about just all kinds of dumb things. Like my my son is just starting out. He's 21. And he had to do, <laughs> had to do a story last week about a donut shop opening in East Harlem. And he was like, this is so bogus. Like, why am I writing this story? I was like, Dean, just do it. You know, it's your job. And, you know, every sentence you write makes you a better writer. So don't fall into that trap where you're like, you're too good for anything and you've got too big a head for anything you've got to pay your dues to make it so i think that might be the trap to think that you're better than what you're assigned and like i said every sentence makes you better 
And someday you will look back on that donut story and you will laugh and say, oh, God, you wrote this stupid story. That's my advice. I mean, most big writers had to go through that. You know, I just did um, a piece on Billy Wilder, the film director who wrote all his, most of his films. He was a great film writer. And he started out in a similar job working for some stupid newspaper in uh, Vienna. And he had to write like these reviews, these positive reviews about these cafes in Vienna. And <laughs> they're just really bad. It's really funny. And he's like, I've just found my favorite cafe exclamation point, you know? So it happens to the best of, best of them. So, you know, just have humility and just, do what you need to do. You go step by step. You go from some stupid little newspaper to a better newspaper, to a better newspaper, to a magazine, to a book contract. You know, it, it takes a while. What's some advice you would give to students who are afraid of writing being in a practical career? Well, you got to give it a shot. Like if you love it and you're good at it, you've got to give it a shot. If you're not good at it, maybe do something else because there's so many writers who are good and can't even make a living. So you got to have some talent. I think you can get better as a writer if you're not a good writer, but you're not going to find talent. Like talent is God given as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you just kind of get hit with that whammy stick by the gods or God or whoever you want to say did it, but you, you, you're born with a talent and everybody has a talent for something, you know? Um, so if you have that talent, and you work hard at it, I think you'll make it. You know, uh, if you don't have any talent and you work hard at it, you might still make it. Um, if you have talent and you don't work hard at it, you're not going to make it. <laughs> so you kind of need both. You know, um, I forget where your question was, but <laughs> I hope I answered it. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time and hope our listeners enjoy. Mm-hmm.